from 11FS. I'm Simon Taylor, and this is FinTech Insider News. Coming up on today's show, venture capital investment into FinTech more than doubles. Monzo goes stateside and Moniz goes intergalactic. And who said what? Quotes from corporate execs who laughed off disruption. All this and more on today's extra special Valentine's episode of FinTech Insider After Dark. Welcome to Fintech Insider After Dark 4. For those of you listening at home and around the world, this is our fourth show in front of a live audience, this time coming from the fantastic space at WeWork, Moorgate, London. Crowd, how are you doing? Moorgate. The amount of stick I get for how I pronounce it. I'm from West Yorkshire. Let me be Northern. God damn it. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day. My name's Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my co-host and 11FS colleague, Mr. Jason Bates. How are you doing, Jason? I'm good until they force me to walk onto Barry White. It all seems a bit odd at that point. It is Valentine's Day, and as you can see from the decorations and the t-shirts and the amount of pink in the room, I don't know if there's that much pink in the room, there's a Valentine's-themed show. We have got a chocolate box full of treats lined up, and we have some very special guests with us, as always. Let's bring those guests on. First up, we could not do a Valentine's Day special without her. It's the one and only Valentina Christensen, Head of Marketing at Oak North. Valentina, please come to the stage. Secondly, we have 11FS Pulse Research Director, Ross Gallagher, or Ross Gurr. Ross Gurr, give him a round of applause. Next up, we have our most prolific podcast guest, regular co-host of InsureTech Insider and Business Insider Analyst and Reporter. It's the one and only Sarah Kachansky. And last, but by no means least, we have HSBC's Global Head of Corporate and Institutional Digital. Put your hands together for Niall Cameron. (laughs) Okay, so we've got some guests. We've got an audience. Question is, audience, are you ready? No, 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 no. I said, are you ready? Yeah. That's better. That's what we like. Let's start the show. All right, first story. Venture capital investment into the fintech scene has more than doubled, according to the FT. Um, So venture investment has more than doubled. The UK experienced its best year on record in 2017 with over $1.8 billion, over 224 deals. Uh, The UK ranked second globally, and that put the UK ahead of China. Way to go, us. Uh, Challenger banks at 24% got some of the most money, and money in uh, FX and transfer at 21% were up. So, uh, Jason... What do you think about this one? Well, obviously, we've got our little challenger bank, you know, duo here. Uh, So, Valentina, why don't you tell us about Oak North, which was one of the big raises last year, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. So, uh, in October, we closed a £160 million round with uh, three investors. So, Tosca Fund, uh, Claremont Group, and Coltrane Asset Management. Uh, which was very exciting. Uh, but then we found out that GIC, the very large Singaporean sovereign wealth fund, was very interested in investing as well. And there was a collective uh, agreement that it'd be great if we could have them on board. 
So uh, they then uh, acquired uh, in a secondary round a 90 million pound stake from India Bulls who had invested in us back in November 2015, bringing the total round to 250 million pounds, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, and officially made us a unicorn valuing the company at uh, 1.3 billion dollars. Was there a ceremony for becoming a unicorn? Like, I love the idea of that. You are now officially a unicorn. Sarah, this feels like the kind of um, thing that the Business Insider would have made a great headline out of. Um, Oh, that's putting me on the spot. I can't remember what it was. Um, (laughs) What was really interesting from our perspective, when you when you dig into the numbers, was the UK did you know there was we did brilliant. We you know were outstripping China. Um, But the example that Valentina has just given is is very interesting. So we actually saw fewer deals for more money. So fewer people are getting more money and they are whopping rounds. Like you look at funding circle transfer wise. So that's really interesting to me. I'm thinking, okay, more money, good. Fewer companies, not so good. Well, but this is later stage deals, isn't it? This was always the issue with the UK is we were great at seed. We were great at A round, but we weren't very good at follow on. So maybe we're finally getting good at follow on funding. So long as we don't lose the seed, you know, the, the, those smaller companies aren't losing out as a result. It's a really fair point. Any, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, another thing is that you, a lot of the rhetoric you often hear is uh, sort of the, the West investing in fintechs in the East. Uh, so very big companies like uh, Ant Financial or Alipay. And I think this is just an example of the fact that actually a lot of the East uh, is actually investing in Western companies as well. And that was that was something that was quite different. The thing that really struck me here is that in 2016, China had 8 billion of investment. And in 2017, they got 1.6 billion of investment for fintech. Um, any any thoughts on that? Maybe Ross Go, what, what's happening globally? It's, it's incredible. I just think you've got 153% growth in the UK year on year compared with an 18% drop globally. Um, and that's really in the face of like Brexit uncertainty, unfavorable market conditions. So actually, it's an incredible turnaround. Got us. But it's just such a, a great place to invest, I think, in terms of the regulation. The, we went over and spoke to the FCA recently, and they talked about their global sandbox initiative. And you're just not going to find a principles-based regulator that seems to be working with fintech, as they said, on, on things they don't know yet, things they don't understand, things that are evolving. And that combined with the talent, of course, we've got a lot in the room tonight, <laughs> uh, and the, the fact that you've got the startup world, the banking world, the asset management world, the, the big universities all in one city. I think there's something interesting in that sort of concentration a bit like uh, Silicon Valley. Is it? I mean, I wonder as well, and this is me being me, um, how many of those big companies are going to take that money and use it to go somewhere else, expand outside of the UK? Well, we've got some headlines later about exactly that. Um, but before we get to those stories, I'm going to move us to the next story. Um, this one I enjoyed. Jay-Z's Rock Nation has invested in Robinhood. Is this the new celebrity crypto endorsement? Um, So this is a blockchain insider story, of course. Um, So this comes from TechCrunch. So Robinhood being the popular uh, kind of investments app, uh, they are sort of nutmeg wealth front, but for just mobile. Um, And Jizzy's got 99 problems, but investments in millennials ain't one. Oh, no. Stop. You can thank producer Laura for that one. Oh, no. You can't pass them on when they bomb and claim them as your own when they do well. That's not how it works. No, that's what I do. <laughs> but he's joined, so he's joined Snoop Dogg and Nas, as, who are also investors. Do you think they sort of sit with their, their mobile while they're, you know, listening on Spotify and just buying some stock or how does I mean, this work? It's, it's not Robin Hood's 
classic demographic, given that they go after capital poor 28-year-olds, I think, is their sort of standard demographic. I mean, you know, the cryptocurrency aspect is, is only really one arm of what Robinhood do. They they have built an incredible business um, out of offering a free trading platform, you know, which they're going to uh, leverage to um, offer other financial products, almost certainly loans that are already offering some some kind of leverage, uh, leverage products on there. That, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? it? It's not completely free. It's $1.49 per month, but then all of your trades are free. So you can trade as much as you like for that $1.49. Uh, but then you've got to think, well, that is a business model. That wouldn't be sustainable unless they start offering other things as well. But as a customer acquisition strategy, hey, we've been invested in by people in hip-hop. Hey, we offer cryptocurrency is, is a really interesting idea. What do you think, Niall? HSBC, do they get a lot of uh, hip-hop megastars uh, <laughs> as clients? We've got a few. And, um, <laughs> can you, can we, you tell we, us who? We're not, allowed, we're not allowed to disclose any client names, but you know, we've got some pretty, uh, pretty cool people bank with us. I think this is uh, it's quite interesting. I think you'll see a lot more celebrity endorsement of these types of companies because it really, if you're trying to get to a 28-year-old millennial, if that's the, you know, the target group, you know, who better than a, than a rap star? So I think it's, it's, you're going to see a lot more of this. And I think also what we're seeing as well, and it's coming into sort of the cryptocurrency space, is generational investing and thematic generation, generational investing. And what, we, what was interesting to me about some of the cryptocurrency moves is the, the age of the people getting involved in it was actually very young, or relatively young demographic. And it's, and it's almost like a, a new, their, their own thing, their new mo- their own money. And it's, I think it's fascinating. Actually. Well, it's exciting to be able to lose all of your money in one go, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and quickly. Well, yeah, I, mean, I saw an 11-year-old crypto expert on Sky News this morning. So, you know, when you <laughs> say go, young... There goes my career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but they're only 10 and a half when they started learning. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you've obviously seen loads of uh, celebrities and rap stars endorsing fintech brands. We all know about Will I Am and Atom Bank. Mm-hmm. I think what's potentially quite interesting here is obviously Jay-Z has invested in quite a few uh, technology companies. So um, the very, like, fancy, uh, I guess, what, what would you call them? and say hi-fi, but that seems really old school. <laughs> the Diavole, you know, speakers. Uh, and, you know, but this is the first one that I think has been publicized in terms of fintech. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be quite interesting to I, see. Uh, like I think this. on that, Val, as well, that there is, there is a layer of legitimacy around this one that we haven't seen in the past because it's through his subsidiary of Rock Nation Arrive, which is a purposely built subsidiary built to help early-stage startups build their brand. And so there is something legitimate. Here. And yeah, and he's and he, he doesn't spend money to lose money, right? So yeah. this is actually, you know, you look at Jay Z, he's not a fool when it comes to money. So he, you know, it's actually a, a proper endorsement but, outside of the celebrity box. But as there's well. also a like a bigger theme here around trust because if you think about the banks or the big institutions that our parents or grandparents would learn to trust, you'd go, they'd have this massive. Uh, double height building. They'd have marble, marble. and crazy, you know. <laughs> Why uh, do they love marble so much? And it's that whole, you can trust us because we're really big. And now with digital, like, how do you get trust? There's something about, okay, my friends tell me about it, but surely celebrities are also that are the big vector, that are the big way of, of, of pushing this. Uh, celebrities and scarcity, and, and I think that viral growth thing, right? This is um, the golden ticket did that really well. And I think Robin Hood have done this with introducing cryptocurrencies, and we saw Revolut do the same thing. It's how do you get people's attention, and tapping into attention being immediate and right now uh, is always a powerful thing. 
So next story, whilst we're on the topic of crypto, is uh, France and Germany have actually called for regulation on crypto that's coordinated internationally at the next G20 meeting. Uh, and this one comes from Reuters. So the finance ministers and central bank governance have called for the policy and monetary implications of cryptocurrencies to be placed on the agenda. They believe there's new opportunities arising from what they call tokens and the technologies behind them which is always an interesting statement. However, tokens could pose substantial risks for investors and can be vulnerable to financial crime. So to me, it says they're trying to figure out what the heck is a token? Is a token something a central bank offers? Is a token something like Bitcoin? And then are people getting burned? Are people losing money? And I think the answer to that might be yes. What are your thoughts, um, Valentina, maybe? Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me, um, so back in uh, September of last year, there was obviously the um, the FCA warning around uh, ICOs. But I think it's going to be quite similar to what we saw a couple of years ago with peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending, where it's almost like the regulator gives the industry some space to, to kind of grow up and to mature, and then it steps in at the right time. Um, you know, that was a great opportunity for the UK to really pioneer an industry, um, retail crowdfunding and peer-to-peer -peer lending, which... Uh, for the first time, it actually was one of the first things that we did before the, the US. And I think that's going to be something that will be uh, similar here in Europe. Uh, so I think it's, it's good that they're letting us have some space and then, uh, and then they'll kind of step in, hopefully, at the right time. I was just going to say, I think that the you know, <laughs> cryptocurrency area, there's a couple, of, a couple of real issues that seem to be coming through the regulatory agenda quite, quite strong. And the first one really is the KYC issue. Mm. And it's coming, and it's, it's a really big issue because you have to not only know your customer, but you quite often have to know your customer's customer. And that sort of runs against a lot of the concepts of anonymous, uh, anonymous blockchain. So that's a, that's a big issue. And I think the other issue that regulators are worried about is the, the, the sheer volatility. And do people effectively get into something they don't really understand, super volatile, they may be leveraged, and do they lose you know, significant amounts of money? And those two themes are coming through, I think, quite a lot of the regulation uh, globally. And there's already been some horror stories of, of uh, so there are some cryptocurrency forums on Reddit where people, the number one post is suicide prevention after the recent market dip. I mean, it, we're talking about people's lives here. So the regulators aren't doing this without warrant. But I think there's also, in addition to recognizing there's the know your customer piece, there's all, and the um, investor protection, there's a recognition that they're global. There's no country at which Bitcoin comes from, unlike sterling or the dollar or the euro. There's an obvious set of people that issue that and can set rules. These crypto assets don't have a home. So regulators internationally need to be coordinated in a way that's unprecedented, in a way that we've never really had before. And so that makes it for really interesting timing. And I also think there's a lot of ships lost in the fog because this subject moves so quickly that yeah. we struggle to really define, well, what is a token and how do I use it? And the language is so new and emerging and this is all happening in front of our eyes. Well, see, that's what concerns me about when they say G20 and I just want to sit with my head in my hands and think, good God, how long is it going to take them to put a piece of paper together that they can read out in front of the G20 before they start discussing it? So whilst I agree it's a, a global issue and, you know, as you say, we've never seen anything like it, I have concerns about trying to form a global coherent strategy. I think, you know, as Val said, actually it might make more sense for individual countries or, or regions, if you're looking at the EU or America, to sort of sit down and think about how they're going to do it, get something in place, and then, okay, we can look at this global way of doing it. Or what about the industry itself doing that? Because oh, yeah. I think there are some key players, your, your Coinbase's, your Circles, your others, who, who really have an interest in seeing this industry become legitimate, are trying to legitimize it, do very good KYC AML, have transaction monitoring 
flattering that I had one uh, KYC compliance professional describe as giving them system envy. They wish they had those <laughs> systems inside their own organization as a bank. So this is best-in-class KYC AML being done by some parts of the industry. Actually, I think there is a bifurcation here. The crypto world does have the sublime and the ridiculous, and we shouldn't forget about the sublime. So, alrighty, next story up, moving from Blockchain Insider to InsureTech Insider, which is available on iTunes now, and we have <laughs> stickers over there. Um, Uber and Waymo have settled their divorce. So um, this one comes from Business Insider, Sarah, so I'm going to throw it to you. So Uber and Waymo reached a $245 million settlement in their massive legal fight over self-driving car technology. Yeah, so they were having a little bit of a scrap. Um, the backstory here is that Uber acquired a company called Otto, which was a self-driving truck company founded by an ex-Waymo employee. So it all got very incestuous. So Alphabet, which owns Google, accused Uber of having conspired with said employee to set this company up and then, you know, Ooh. handing it over. And it was all very, he said, she said, backstabbing. Um, basically, they've actually come to an agreement after four days in court. Um, the, the figure that you just referred to, the $245 million settlement, is actually 0.34% of Uber's total valuation, which currently stands at $72 billion. So there's, you know, there's the financial side of it. The other thing that, and I think this is the really bonkers bit, is that Waymo and Uber engineers are going to work together to ensure Uber's technologies only reflect the work of its own employees. If anybody knows how to do that, can you come and see me afterwards? Because that sounds like an IP, you know, non-compete agreement yeah, tied yeah. up but by... That, but that's not the most bonkers bit, because Anthony Lewandowski, the, the yeah. guy in question, has founded his own religion. <laughs> Uh, okay, not that I didn't know. He's that founded didn't... his own religion to, uh, is something like praise the godhead of AI uh, that's going to essentially save us all. So this one guy who left one place, took all the documents, Fair play, mate. set up a company uh, and then sold it over and has created all of this, this problem, is also setting up a religion. I think that's, that's the big story. Can we get brochures for that over here yeah. as well? Yeah, yeah. See, see the priest on the way out. Um, I, for one, welcome that was, that was quite That was quite a nice pitch, Jay. <laughs> I think, yeah, he, I think he, the he actual question here, which Val, Val may be about to bring up, is, is about intellectual property. In no, 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 I'm not. I'm just going to say, um, so I, uh, I read... You're part of that, that religion. You're a religion. Okay. <laughs> yes, I am, for several months now. Uh, no, I read last year uh, Wild Ride, which is uh, was written by um, Adam Roshinsky uh, from Fortune, and he uh, kind of did the behind-the-scenes the story of... Uber. So he spent sort of several months uh, at Uber's offices and, and uh, interviewing um, uh, Travis Kalanick. And, uh, you know, you can really see why now under obviously the new leadership, the many changes that they've made. And I think that's a trend you're seeing much more given uh, the rhetoric that's been coming out of uh, Silicon Valley and the big tech firms. And this is kind of hopefully a good example of, of how they reacted in this way, how they've actually sort of settled uh, the, the divorce and, and not made, um, you know... A, they didn't fight over the kids. They didn't make the kids exactly, cry. Yeah, exactly get along and they sorted it all right before valentine's day bless them it's really good of them <laughs> we also want to let you know that if you love watching this show live we're going to be at money 2020 europe in amsterdam this june and we're bringing fintech insider live with us uh, and we're bringing the podcast to the main stage arena right before the drinks reception. And you can be there. So tickets are available now. Go to europe.money2020.com forward slash register. And if you use the code 1811FS, we can get you $200 off the ticket right there. So 
just before the drinks reception, we know that Fintech Insider listeners like a good drinks reception, don't we? Yeah. We wanted to let you know that on the 27th of February, our very own David Breer and Sam Moore will square off in a fintech face-off, joined by some very special guests, including Bo Hartman, Richard Davies, Sarah Kachansky, and Bill Sullivan. It'll be Europe versus the US, facing off in a transatlantic debate to decide who's the best for fintech. It'll be live streamed, hosted by Capgemini and LinkedIn. Don't miss out. You can sign up at faceoff.11fs.com to watch the fight and back either side. That's faceoff.11fs.com. Who's going to win? All right. Thank you very much to our sponsor. Uh, the next story is Monzo Goes Stateside. So Woo! submitted to fintechinsidernews.com by Sharon O'Day. Um, App-only bank Monzo looks set to expand into the US, and Tom Blomfeld told CNBC that Monzo's in the very, very early stages of discussions with US regulators. Anybody got any thoughts on this one? Maybe Sarah? I have thoughts. Um, (laughs) I have many thoughts. Uh, One of the things that that Mr. Blomfeld said is that he believes that the cultural similarities that the US has with Britain make it an attractive market. Now, to a certain extent, that's possibly true, but I'm not necessarily sure it's true when it comes to banking. I'm not not sure that, you know, the the let's go straight out there with personal finance management and, you know, current accounts is going to be the way in. Um, I also think that it's, you know, he said the, the key thing to me here is that they're in the very, very early stages, right? And everybody goes, oh, the Americans haven't got any neobanks. Yes, they have. And they're coming up thick and fast. BBVA launched one today, a brand new, you know, shiny neobank brand backed by BBVA in America for small businesses and freelancers. So I, my concern is, or not concern, depending on which way you look at it, that by the time the British neobanks get there, and Monzo is by no means the only one, there'll be no space left to play it. The Americans will have got there first. Yeah, I mean, also the thing you have to, you have to remember about the US is that obviously you have a different regulator of every state. So getting a banking license in the UK is hard. It takes about two years. Uh, doing that for 50 states is going to be a very time-consuming process, right? Uh, one of the things that's quite interesting is that in March last year, the uh, Office of the Comptroller of Currency, or the OCC, uh, they basically said that they wanted to start great granting uh, special-purpose uh, national banking charters to fintech companies, which would basically enable them to provide their services uh, statewide or nationwide, uh, but in order to get one of those charters, the fintech has to offer at least one of the three, uh, make loans, uh, pay checks, or receive deposits. Um, and Monzo, uh, in terms of paying checks, it's a checking account or a current account, so it would, it would qualify. What was interesting was that the announcement came after six months of uh, them getting consultation and receiving letters from a number of different uh, businesses, which included Lending Club, Coinbase, Ripple, uh, cabbage no. and weirdly um, Shazam. Uh, the <laughs> Shazam. <laughs> I'm not really sure why they they were really keen on this, but we'll see. I'm sure it's you know watch this space kind of thing. But I think Monzo, you know, they weren't one of the the hundred plus companies uh, at the time. But uh, clearly the, the business has moved on, and I'm sure that they're having the, the conversations now. It's not easy being a global bank, is it, Niall? No, it's difficult. <laughs> and, and, you know, every day we wake up and realise uh, how difficult it is, but. Uh, I think that there's a, you know, the digitalization change that's happening um, is really quite liberating as well for, for the big established players as well. You know, we talk quite a, quite a lot about fintech, um, about our relationship is with fintech. And fintech is, is almost the most important thing that's happening for us at the moment because we can, 
we can work with this amazing array of companies out there and partner with them or put their, their products into our products or, you know, there's so many different ways of working. And it's allowing us to, to do things we could only imagine before. And That's it's allowing us to move at speeds that we could have never believed we could have moved at before. And I think so it's, you know, it's a very liberating time. And I think also, you know, when you look at some of the challenger banks, you know, we watch, we watch them, we look at them, we watch what they do. You know, a lot of the stuff is very smart. And, and we can, you know, we can use those concepts and those ideas and build that into our offering. So, you know, people say it's a, it's a challenge. Not up to a point it is, but it's also quite exciting and it gets everybody really motivated to... to What's interesting to me, Niall, is that we've seen uh, those... Uh, I think the challenger banks in the UK did well because of the UK's policy advantage. It was able to work with those fintech startups, uh, work with those challenger banks and help them through the process of becoming a bank. And now we see, as Valentina points out, the OCC has like um, a sandbox program. The CFTC has a sandbox program. The states in the US are thinking about a sandbox program. I think the genie may be out of the bottle on this one, uh, and Monzo may be taking advantage of it, but Ross Gurr, I'm interested. They're not going into a vacuum. There are other challenger banks in the US. What, who are some of the big names out there already, and who are they going to be battling against? I mean, so obviously, I think the US market is interesting. Val, to your point, it's super fragmented. Yes, there are challenger banks. I think it's still quite dominated by the bigger players. You know, I think the reasons that we've seen the, the story around the US, I think, generate so much um, media hype. And it, it, of course, it speaks to sort of global expansion and it speaks to, um, you know, everything we've just discussed. The one thing I wanted to flag was actually they've, they've started much smaller, realistically, when it comes to um, international expansion. They've announced that they're right about ready to move into Ireland. They've already got their passporting permissions. Yeah, I don't think it was necessarily announced. I think it was one of those wonderful, beautiful headlines that you look at and think, oh my God, Monzo are going to the US. And then Tom Blomfeld says, well, go to the US after we're profitable, which will be after 2020. Yeah. <laughs> you think, oh, so okay. there's, a, there's a bit of headline writing going on here. Um, and going to Ireland's interesting. And also we've seen the same thing with N26 potentially going to the US and they've passported around Europe quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, as you say, it's an interesting market. The one for, for me to look at as well is it's not just the OCC who's um, looking at those licensing. There's the industrial bank charters, which is what Square's gone after. Now, if Square can get a banking license in the US, a Jack wow, Dorsey represent. Game over. Like <laughs> fintech is a Jack Dorsey story. Um, Valentina. Yeah, I mean, just the, the last thing is really that um, on this on the story is uh, so if anyone listens to Breaking Banks, uh, Brett King, you know, he was talking about that uh, basically when they first wanted to launch a digital bank, they they couldn't in the way that Monzo and Starling have because the regulation said that you had to have at least one branch. Didn't matter which state it was, but you had to have a physical place where uh, customers could go. So it's it's it's, come, it's changed now. I think it changed about two years ago, but that was something that prevented a Monzo or Starling equivalent. And so if you had that vision in your mind, you just kind of have to have the one branch and then you could be a digital bank. I mean, we were over in the US just before Christmas uh, doing some work with some, some of the small banks there. And it fascinates <laughs> me that ecosystem because you've got something like 10,000 very small banks fighting the really big boys. And if you think there are some banks that only provide services to people in their state or the neighboring states, that, there's going to be a bloodbath there when essentially uh, digital banking, virtual banking sort of comes to the fore. And these 10,000 banks are suddenly 
in a war against each other. It's a very different market without question. And there's a lot of more people with banking licenses already, as you say, that can look to go out of their state a lot easier than somebody entering the country for the first time. But let's forget about the U USA. Let's think about the entire planet. Um, there's a story from uh, Fintech Finance. So Ali, if you're in the room from Fintech Finance, give us a wave. Hey, Ali, yeah. thank you for this one. Submitted to fintechinsidernews.com by Bob McLean. Shout out, Bob. Uh, Moniz uh, take a giant leap forward to create the first interplanetary banking service. So, Ross, do you want to tell us about this one? Oh, I really do. Okay, so I love this story. So, yeah, yeah no, I really am. So SpaceX <laughs> have launched their Falcon Heavy, which is the most powerful operational space rocket by a factor of two. Can we get a shout out for Elon Musk just being awesome, oh, by the way? It's super cool. So also, it can lift twice the load of the next closest operational rocket. So I guess, you know, think crew, but also think passengers, think luggage. So in response of this, Monies have decided to open a queue for a banking service on Mars. I mean, come Do they on, have how branches? cool is that? Branches on Mars. I mean, who's the regulator for that? Like, that's a really interesting question. So the CEO says... Are. Hold on. I'm just I'm going to announce that Fintech Insiders is, is starting the first interplanetary regulator. There you go. Awesome. That's you it. Hear we, first. We plant a flag. You got it. We are the regulators. You, you claim it. It's like those companies that sell you like a star and say you're going to name it. It's like no one's taking it. Therefore, it's ours. I'm planting that flag. There's but, a contract. It's real. You know, I, mean, um, I love this quote from the CEO that says, our ambition is to build a core, out our core product based on the ability to serve humans regardless of where they live. So really here, what they're saying is, look, uh, Moniz is essentially aimed at migrant workers. This is definitely a bit of <laughs> PR stunt. I don't know if you're migrating to Mars anytime soon, but I'm, Moniz apparently is the I'm is not the close to the idea. But I think this is, this is a key play, right? Because obviously they position themselves, as you said, Simon, the, the, the bank for the expats, migrants, and they speak, I think, you know, to a real issue around financial exclusion when you move to a new country. So... There's a, you know, we want to serve humans regardless of where they live. That's clever. So there's a good friend of mine, Anish Varma from Air, does alternative credit scoring. And he came up with some statistics a while ago based on his own experience that says uh, of about eight out of ten customers a bank sees can be credit scored. Two out of ten are typically thin files. So this is, we just don't know enough about you, so go away. We just don't know enough. And so what Moniz does is they do different types of KYC AML. They just ask more questions. And I think there's something to be said for these products that prove that you can do things differently, even on Mars. Yeah, I mean, you know, so, I mean, I'm a marketeer for Oaknall, so I can say that I always enjoy a good PR stunt. Yeah, guilty. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's, I mean, about, I think I checked earlier today and there are about 300 people who had, uh, who'd signed up so that when the first intergalactic uh, current account was available, they would be... They would All right, so 300 people signed up for this thing. I want to ask the audience, ladies and gentlemen, give me a cheer if you'd like a Martian bank account. <laughs> yeah. That's not bad. That's a good effort. Give me a cheer if you think this is bullshit. <laughs> oh. That's a pretty big cheer. All right. I think we're pretty certain it's bullshit. I, I'm, I'm so devastated by that. I really am. I, I think this is awesome. 
At least, if, if, if at the very, very least, if all it achieves is to raise a little bit of awareness around the issue of financial exclusion, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, so if you want to learn more about monies, we actually have the journeys on 11FS Pulse, which is our competitor insights platform. So go to 11FS.com to learn more about 11FS Pulse. Subtle, uh, nice. Yeah, oh, no, I'm, I'm plugging things. I'm going <laughs> to plug nice. stuff. Have Mike, will plug. All right, next story. It's time... For Alibaba does a thing. Alipay buys a thing. All right, so Sarah, this was on FT.com. It was submitted to Fintech Insider News by Laura. Laura, give us a wave. Thank you, Laura, for submitting this. Producer Laura, the star that keeps this show on the road. Uh, Ant Financial seeks $5 billion in funding ahead of their IPO. So, Sarah, what's going on here? Oh, so many things. Um, so basically, Ant Financial used to belong to Alibaba, the e-commerce giant, and they spun it out for various regulatory reasons. Um, and then they announced uh, a couple of months ago that actually they quite fancied a bit of that back. So instead of what they had had, which was a revenue share scheme, they um, actually are taking a 33 or 36% I think, ownership stake back in Ant Financial. Now that's the trigger Ant Financial needs to IPO. And this is going to be an IPO like you've never seen. So they want to raise 5 billion to IPO at a value of around $120 billion. Um, so that would be twice the level it achieved its last fundraising nearly two years ago. Um, you know, Am Financial will become the world's biggest unicorn ahead of Uber. So Uber's currently at 72 billion, if you remember. It, you know, it, when you look at context, you look back at Google, they went public 2004, valuation of 23 billion. Facebook is probably the closest, valuation of 104 billion in 2012. I mean, these are numbers like out of this planet. That's a big unicorn, Valentina. Yeah, the, yeah I mean, there's <laughs> a centicorn, as it's called. Was, is that what it's called? Yeah, I was going to say, what's it called? Well, there's two names there's centicorn and a hectacorn, which I don't really know why, because hector is like. Yeah, it'd eight. be deca, really, shouldn't Decacorn? Well, deca is 10. Center is 100. And then why hector? I have no idea. Whoever Hector yeah. is, he did oh, well. Are we now having a Latin yeah. debate? But what's interesting about that is that, um, so does anyone, uh, when, do, do you remember when um, Alibaba listed on the New York Stock Exchange and the big story or the headlines was this massive IPO of a company you've never heard of? And everyone in the West was like, yeah, I mean, you know, you kind of, you know, some people knew about them, but generally it was not like a company like Facebook where everyone knew or Snapchat and there was all this hype. Um, and that was what's very interesting here is that with N Financial, obviously, now we've kept a much closer eye on the, the, the Eastern uh, companies, the very large fintech uh, and tech companies. And I think now it's going to be, you know, an IPO that will be really, really big. Alrighty. Let's get to the next story. Um, this one I really enjoyed. We found 42 quotes of people denying innovation. And this was submitted to Fintech Insider News by somebody calling themselves A.H. Bassett. I wonder who that... Oh, there it is! Abdul Bassett, thank you so much. Um, so, 42 funny mouth quotes from big execs who laughed it off disruption when it hit. Um, so, we're going to play a quick game with the best of the quotes. We're going to read out some of the quotes, and anybody who can guess who said them... And can you guess what they're talking about? So, are you ready for this one? I want shout-outs. It's going to be a shout-out from the audience, and there will be stickers and maybe even T-shirts in this for you. And don't forget, <laughs> you're getting free alcohol right now. So, <laughs> Whoever you were, thank you. <laughs> All right, first quote. If there were a rumor that Mercedes or Daimler planned to start building smartphones, then they would not be sleepless at night. The same applies to me. <laughs> Meg Ryan was a quote from the front yeah. here. Yeah, now this was uh, Dieter Zeech, the head of Daimler, on Apple and Google making driverless cars. I so, want to take the next one. Okay. So, who said this? 
It's creating something out of nothing that to me is worth nothing. It will end badly. Nice. Good Buff, attempt, not the one. It. Anyone else? Jamie Diamond, Jamie whoever Diamond you are, you've won a t-shirt. Nice job, nice job. Good that was Jamie job. Diamond. All right, Jason, do you want to take well, the next one? Well, Valentina, do you want to take the next one? Uh, yes. So it won't be able to hold on to any market it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. <laughs> Ikea from the front here. That was a good effort. It was uh, Daryl Zanuck, co-founder of 20th Century Fox on television. Oh, going old school there. All right, Sarah, do you want to take the next one for us? Okay. We've learned and struggled for a few years here, figuring out how to make a decent phone. PC guys are not just going to figure this one out. Yes, whoever said CEO of Palm is correct. Yeah. Who said CEO of Palm? Because that but was a great impression. That gentleman on the iPhone. That's uh, good Mr. Knowledge. Nier, I believe. Nier Nagda, is that right? Go good and stand job. Up. Seriously impressive knowledge. That I'm so many geek points for that one. And finally, can you guess who came up with this statement? Neither Redbox nor Netflix are even on the radar screen in terms of the competition. It's much more Walmart and Apple. Who said that one? You must have seen it on... Yes, yes. who said that? <laughs> Blockbuster CEO. Blockbuster CEO. All right, and finally, uh, before we wrap up... Well done, audience, by the way. Give yourself a round of applause for that. We have a very smart audience. All right, so we have two of the silliest stories in our and finally section, because we thought you might appreciate some silly stories. This one... Oh, my goodness. Um, all right, so Noel Edmonds... Submitted to Fintech Insider News by Alex S. Noel Edmonds takes on Lloyd's with a new radio station. Noel Edmonds can channels a teenage girl who's just been dumped. He's set up an online radio station called Positively Noel, which is using to get revenge on Lloyd's bank and playing sad songs about losing money and not giving up the fight. Seeking £60 million in compensation from Lloyds after falling victim to a multi-million pound fraud a decade ago, between songs he plays messages about his case and encourages Lloyds staff to call the whistleblowing hotline. <laughs> the former Deal or No Deal presenter is pursuing the bank over giant losses and the claims he suffered after unique group collapsed. Lloyds disputes his claim that fraud caused his business to collapse. The company declined to comment about his radio station. What do you think about this one? Oh, I mean, so fantastically, he plays messages about his case in between songs and urges Lloyd staff to contact his whistleblowing hotline. Do you think he plays that Radio 1 kind of sad music oh, and yeah. tells that kind of outtune uh, kind of thing? It's all right, though, because we've got a strategy, right, for how he's going to make his money back. We came up with this Ooh. before the show. We really do. So, and this kind of harps back to an earlier story, but we think that Noel Edmonds should endorse a cryptocurrency, and we've come up with quite a catchy name called Blobbycoin. I think that's it. I mean, Jason's already, uh, you know, bought the domain name. We said it about an hour ago, and he's got it. So. Blobbycoin.com. Blobbycoin.com. He could ICO that, forget his, his... Can you imagine that big, floppy, lovable Noel Edmonds? No, I mean, Mr. Blobby, like, doing, yeah. like, cryptocurrency. It's, it's got genius. everything. It's got crypto, it's got a 90s character. It's, it's so meme. I've just I've just checked it out. Actually, it's worth about four point two billion already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes sometimes these uh, these actually work. So um, I remember a couple of years ago there was uh, Chris Hargreaves. He's an investigative journalist, and he had a Twitter handle called 
Scott Prov says no. Uh, Scottish Providence says no. Uh, so the very large insurance giant, which was then merged and became uh, Royal London. And basically his claim had been rejected and he then launched this huge campaign on Twitter. He got huge support from the public, huge support from the media. And then after almost three years, the, the financial ombudsman service uh, then ruled in his favor and Scottish Provident were forced to pay the original claim plus interest. So sometimes, uh, you know, these things can work. Uh, and now actually, uh, Chris Hargreaves, he runs uh, APH Investigates, that's his new Twitter handle, uh, which is, um, that stands for APH's Angry Policy Holder, just in case anyone is wondering. Uh, but then he helps other people who, who feel that their claims uh, were mismanaged, and then he helps them to, to hopefully get the money back. But it shows that these things work. Angry Policy Holder. Yeah. All right, speaking of people with possibly too much anger in their veins, um, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, this is a bizarre workout set for a couple that we saw. This was on Business Insider, Jason. A bizarre video has emerged of a former Goldman Sachs boss bench pressing his wife? This has nothing to do with me. I <laughs> deny the Business Insider name just on this one. <laughs> you mean you don't go for BuzzFeed like headlines ever? <laughs> so, Layla Maria Witt, 24 years his junior, he's 58, she's a bit younger, and uh, she's a, a, an Instagram star. And so for one of her videos, uh, there's this guy who used to run, I think, Germany for Goldman Sachs, lying back, bench pressing her while she's in splits. See, that's impressive. She's doing the splits and he's got her up in the air. Now, I'm more impressed by that. Yeah, I would agree. That's much harder. But it's gone viral. I think they had like 60,000 views or something. But interestingly, it was connected to another story. Was this a fintech? Was this a business insider story as well? Uh, that was looking at hedge fund managers and how they want, they all wanted the warrior physique. That apparently, uh, there was this whole thing that people in their late 30s, especially in hedge funds, are all in for the, the heavy training, building the big muscles. I have noticed that lately I've been meeting weirdly jacked 50-year-olds in banking. <laughs> like, uh, let's look at Niall, for instance. That guy's a monster. <laughs> Niall, you feel like bench pressing the whole table? Are you going whole Connors? No, I mean, we, I tried it in the gym the other day, but the health and safety rules say that you, can only, <laughs> you can't bench press people in my gym, so I couldn't do it. So. Thank you, Niall. Um, on that note, that concludes another fun-filled Valentine's Day news show. We hope you've loved it as much as we have. I need to thank our fantastic guests. Uh, we've loved having you on the show. Valentina, where can people find out more about you? Uh, well, if you're a business looking for a loan, you can go to www.oaknorth.com. And if you want to connect with me directly, then I'm on Twitter at Val Christensen or, or on LinkedIn. Brilliant. And Sarah? Uh, you can find me on InsureTech Insider, actually, pretty regularly. Um, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Sarah Kashansky. Brilliant. And, of course, Niall, where can people find more about you? LinkedIn. Simple. Simple. I love the Ron Seal nature of your life. It's just brilliant. Um, Ross Gurr. Ross Gurr. I can't believe I've got, like, a stage name. Or a <laughs> of course bad. you do. Um, so, yeah, Ross Gurr at 11fs.com now, I think. Um, or Ross Gallagher 7 on Twitter. Love it. Absolutely love it. And, Jason, where can people stalk and find you? on Twitter at Jason Bates or Jason at 11fs.com. You can find me, Simon at 11fs.com or at SYTaylor on Twitter. We have to thank our media team. Please join me in thanking the people who make this event possible. Ollie for stage managing and producing the show. 
Patrick, our assistant producer, who is back with us after an operation. Patrick, big shout out to you, sir. We got to thank Simone for tonight's video and animation wizardry. And how much do you love that? We got to thank Amy for the swag, the wall of emoji, all of the designs and everything. Amy, thank you. We got to thank Terence for the cinematic videography that's going on right now. Shout out to Terence. Of course, the one and only, the legendary Mr. Michael Bailey in the background with the gimbal. Michael Bailey. And tonight, a very special thank you to Laura for scripting and co-creating the show. It also happens to be Laura's birthday this Saturday, so please shout, Fintech Insider, happy birthday, Laura! Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Laura! Laura. <laughs> and of course, thank you. Give yourselves a cheer, ladies and gentlemen. You can find out more about us at 11fs.com or check out Fintech Insider on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. And you can find the pictures and videos from tonight, so please do check that out. We'd love it if you gave us a five-star review on iTunes. We love reading what you think of the show, and those five-star reviews really, really help us. Thank you very much, and good night.